All right, everybody, we have made it to Wednesday. It is Wednesday, January 18th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Wanunu. And I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. And Jill, uh, we also try to bring people some of the more viral clips uh, coming out online. And the one we have been watching on repeat prior to taping this podcast is Joe Biden attempting to sing happy birthday to someone in a crowd. Mosh, at least when I sing on this podcast, I know the words, or at least I try <laughs> to know the words. <laughs> he broke several cardinal rules in singing public happy birthdays. If you haven't seen it, we're going to bring it to you in this podcast and tell you all about it at the end of Speed Read. Okay, now to some of the headlines. The real leaders of Davos. We're going to break down the mood and drama from this year's World Economic Forum. China's population fell for the first time. What this means for everybody else. Some say to zig when others zag. Well, some states are banning gas guzzling cars. Wyoming, they say they could be banning electric vehicles. We'll tell you why. England, meanwhile, is banning single-use plastics. Is the U.S. next? Time to celebrate. Madonna announces dates for her Celebration World Tour. Most yours truly could not be more excited. Jill literally said as we added the podcast, you can take <laughs> out any story, but you cannot take out the Madonna story. And again, speaking of singing, Joe Biden attempts to sing happy birthday to MLK's daughter-in-law, but forgets one very important thing. And Mosh has on this day. The day America bans sliced bread. There's a lot to stick around for at the end of the podcast, everybody. Okay, let's start, though, with the huge economic summit in Davos, Switzerland. It's where hundreds of the top CEOs, billionaires, and political leaders from around the world gather for the World Economic Forum's annual event. Though the mood this year, less than optimistic. Soaring inflation has triggered steep interest rate hikes around the world. The war in Ukraine, the largest and longest in Europe since World War II, is now closing in on the one-year mark. The fear among many is a recession, and it led some of the world's biggest companies to hold back on spending ahead of an uncertain year. Many businesses are slashing costs, and in some cases, jobs, to be prudent, according to several business leaders. But a number are also holding out hope that they won't need to cut too deeply to take advantage of what some expect could be a rebound this year, if major economies wind up skirting a recession. Some believe inflation, sparked in part by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, has peaked. So they are hoping for a soft economic landing. The Carlyle Group co-chairman David Rubenstein is optimistic about the outlook for the U.S. economy, bucking the view of many corporate leaders who are preparing for a downturn. Carlyle manages about $400 billion in assets. Meanwhile, Chinese President Xi Jinping's top economic advisor sought to restore global investor confidence in a Chinese economy much battered by the country's self-imposed COVID isolation. He said the country has emerged and is open for business. Yeah, there's a lot of headlines coming out of that annual conference hour by hour. So we'll try to bring you um, all the big ones throughout the week. Uh, Andrew Ross Sorkin, he's a journalist, a business journalist with both CNBC and The New York Times, uh, wrote in his morning newsletter on Tuesday, Davos is normally full of hand-wringing over the state of the world, but it feels especially pronounced this year. That line comes as a survey of CEOs uh, from PricewaterhouseCoopers was released this week, and it found that it was the gloomiest sentiment since they originally launched the poll a decade ago. Uh, it's a marked shift from the significantly optimistic outlooks from 2021, 2022. 
Uh, Jill, one of the big themes out of the conference is climate talk uh, and actually some hope out of climate talk, saying the Ukraine war and the subsequent rise in oil prices has spurred countries to look for alternative fuels to a certain extent, though we also know that obviously some countries are still falling back on coal and natural gas. Uh, there are also concerns as they talk about climate change that given the state of the global uh, economy and recession, that there won't be as much investment in alternative fuels as there would have been. Uh, there's also concerns that because of what's going on economically, that uh, countries will be doing less to tackle global poverty. That's a huge issue at the World Economic Forum. And let's talk about it for a second, this annual Davos conference. Uh, I actually covered it for a couple of years when I was at Bloomberg Television. Uh, and there's actually a lot of conspiracy theories about what gets decided there. Essentially, what Wah-ha-ha. it is... Tell us everything. <laughs> I will tell you exactly what they decide. They get in rooms, they have glasses of wine, they talk about the state of the world, they believe that they can come up with solutions for the state of the world. Uh, And in previous years, there were many more leaders there. This year, the only major G7 leader there is the Chancellor of Germany. The highest level rep from the US is actually Marty Walsh. You might know him as our labor secretary. Uh, And so, and then a couple senators are there. I think I saw Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. Uh, There are a lot of business CEOs, though, the head of JP Morgan, Amazon, Microsoft, Pfizer, among others, having private meetings. Uh, But ultimately, they they meet for a number of days uh, at the summit. And despite some of the theories out there, they aren't making rules for the whole world. They're just kind of discussing ideas. Uh, They're hoping to get together, make some business deals. At least that has been my impression from my coverage of it. And it has received some criticism in recent years. And so that's probably one of the reasons you see politicians avoiding it. Uh, You see Russell Brand, the comedian, is basically devoting his talk show now to criticizing the conference every day. Greenpeace has mocked Davos's climate change talk by putting out photos of all the private planes these leaders took to the conference. And then there's a major Putin critic and uh, activist, uh, Bill Browder, who said that the World Economic Forum asked him to pay $250,000 for a ticket this year. Uh, apparently it was 70000 in previous years. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm here to tell you about what's going on in Russia. So apparently he's still there, but doesn't have one of those passes to get into the big conference. So what is he doing? Just <laughs> walking around? <laughs> Apparently he's attending. Let me in. Apparently he's attending a lot of private events. There's a lot of after parties, lounges. Uh, a, a lot of what Davos is is what parties can you get into after the day's sessions? Okay, so they really need to do a reality show called "The Real World Leaders of Davos," which is kind of what I was trying to get at in the intro. I don't know if it it hit. A couple of things I saw: Elon Musk. He kind of addressed the conspiracies that you were mentioning in a tweet, of course. He wrote, my reason for declining the Davos invitation was not because I thought they were engaged in diabolical scheming, but because it sounded boring AF, LOL. Um, <laughs> That's many of the sessions, by the way. It's like economists talking about like, well, where do you think these inflation numbers, are they going to be up 2.2% or 3.2%? But talk about drama. The World Economic Forum said Musk, not on the guest list this year. So you weren't invited, buddy, according to the World Economic (laughs) Forum. Uh, You mentioned uh, Senators Kirsten Sinema and also Joe Manchin, that they are there. They were taking a bit of a victory lap. They high-fived on stage, touting their accomplishments as a moderating force in the Senate, blocking efforts to get rid of the filibuster. It's interesting that they've chosen to go to Davos, of all places. You know, Manchin's running for re-election in West Virginia, man of the people, and he's literally, you know, in a place with some of the richest people on earth for a few days in a ski resort in Switzerland. Uh, 
Kirsten Cinema. You know, she sort of marches to the beat of her, her own drummer as well. But uh, we will continue to bring you headlines from there. But so far, the sentiment is, for the most part, negative, more negative than usual. Some people are positive, including you mentioned David Rubenstein, Jill, uh, and sort of some hand-wringing about climate change. Uh, and I believe Zelensky's wife spoke. So we'll see, we'll see what else comes, both economically and politically, out of the conference. Okay, moving on, Mosh, the world's most populous country, China, could have a population problem on its hands, entering a, quote, era of negative population growth. And while we'd probably like to say, not our problem, this could have some very big global consequences. So let's start with the numbers here. China's population has now fallen for the first time in 60 years, with deaths outnumbering births and the national birth rate hitting a record low, 6.77 births per 1,000 people. The population in 2022, more than 1.4 billion fell by 850,000 from 2021. We should note China's birth rate has been declining for years, but this is the first time that they saw more deaths than births. The declining birth rates has prompted the government to scrap its controversial one-child policy that happened about seven years ago, allowing married couples to have at least two children. Then in 2021, they allowed families to have three children. The government also offered tax breaks and better maternal health care. But alas, it has not done the trick. Women in China are still choosing to have fewer kids among the reasons the rising cost of living. So Chinese President Xi Jinping now saying boosting the birth rate is a top priority. Yeah, let's give people context here on the uh, birth rate you mentioned, Jill, 6.77 births per 1,000 people. By comparison, the U.S. recorded about 11 births per 1,000 people, so uh, almost double uh, the rate that they're seeing in China. And we have a population issue on our hands. In the next 60 to 70 years, if things continue the way they are, the U.S. might have a larger population than China, Jill. Right now, they have four times our population. We're about 350 million. They're 1.4 billion. But just at this pace, by the year 2100, the end of the century, the U.S. could have more people than China, which is just something remarkable to think about. It turns out that that one-child policy they had in place for decades really did a number. At the time they put it in force back down in the 60s and 70s, they were freaking out about the population. Uh, they were seeing about seven kids per family. Uh, so they put that one-child policy in place and then realized that it had this uh, significant impact on them and then only in the last decade dropped it. At some point this year, if they haven't already, India is set to overtake China as the world's most populous country. Uh, India right now has a birth rate of 16 per 1,000 people, uh, and experts think that that could happen any day or any week now. Populations are shrinking and aging across East Asia, Japan, South Korea. South Korea actually has one of the lowest birth rates in the world, 0.8 kids per family. Keep in mind that you need two plus to grow a population. That's been the concern here in the U.S. that it's approaching two or getting slightly under two in South Korea. 0.8, but the population drama you're seeing in a lot of the uh, Western world across Europe, Russia, Italy, uh, Italy in particular, where you see some towns being abandoned, same thing happening in Japan and the government trying to figure out what to do about it. But now to the bigger question, why does this matter? So China is pretty much the world's factory, which means lower population growth could mean higher labor costs because of a smaller pool of workers. One China expert writing on Twitter, fewer births in China will lead to economic slowdown, manufacturing recession, university bankruptcy, and will also lead to high prices and high inflation in the U.S. and E.U., 
which we're dealing with already. China's National Bureau of Statistics released separate data this week showing the country's economy only grew by about 3% in 2022, well below its 5.5% growth target and well below what we had seen in previous years pre-pandemic. The country is, though, still dealing with the impacts of COVID, that zero COVID policy. uh, They did lift that, but they're dealing with a huge, huge surge of the virus. Yeah, and even at 3%, Joe, there's always been skepticism about Chinese official numbers and whether they can be trusted. You know, for many years, they were running a 10% growth and the world's like, there's no way they can continue to be doing that. And so is the 3% number real? Unclear. Uh, Either way, China's decline here in population is one of the most drastic that we've ever seen outside of war in history in terms of population declines. And part of the grand bargain in China is that you accept the authoritarianism of the government as long as your life is made better. But if there's not enough young people to pay for the old, there's not enough young people to develop and grow the economy, not enough young people to be employed and be hired by businesses, that bargain becomes difficult. And then there's the government, right? You can't expand tax revenue to provide basic services to people if you don't have people. So that is the basic point here about population growth. There's not much in the way of immigration uh, to China. So that's something they may have to consider. It's certainly something we're dealing with in the U.S. here, though our population issues are not as significant, at least at this point, is what we're seeing in China. They were dealing with very rare protests recently because of those zero COVID policies. Uh, But you can imagine, as you were saying, this grand bargain that they expect some of these services, a disenfranchised and disgruntled Chinese population could spell just a lot of political turmoil in that country. And what happens there spills over to the rest of the world. Yeah, that's why we try to keep everyone updated on on these population figures, because they, you know, they can seem sort of like kind of up in the clouds, like, why does this matter to me? But I hope we start to give you a sense of why those numbers matter, why population growth matters and and what it really uh, means to the economy and how it impacts things globally. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here to thank our sponsors this week. I'm happy to announce our newest partnership. Harry's is a shaving brand and men's uh, wellness brand that I've been using for a number of years for a great shave. My wife actually found their aftershave a couple years ago. I've been a loyal customer ever since. So I'm really excited that they're joining us as a partner. They have a special deal for Mo News listeners. I just got one of their five blade razors. Uh, in addition to having tried their aftershave for years, really like the nice weighted handle. You can try the shaving gel and the razor with their Truman Shave Trial Set. They are offering it to all Mo News listeners. It's a $15 value for a limited time, you can get it for just $3 at harrys.com slash monews. Again, the razor, the gel, a travel cover. You can also schedule replacement blade deliveries whenever you need them for as little as $2. I'm generally a big fan of what they're doing at Harry's. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Again, the $15 Truman Shave trial set for just $3, harrys.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. Again, harrys.com slash monews for a $3 trial set. Our next sponsor this week is Athletic Greens, whose AG1 all-in-one vitamin powder has been a daily ritual for me in mornings this winter. And Jill, I understand you got some last week. Mosh, I did, and I'm really excited about it. As a new parent, I am permanently sleep-deprived, and it feels like someone in my house is always sick. So I really do need all the help that I could get. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It contains over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. In addition, AG1 has pre and probiotics to support gut health. 
And here's the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription, or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, that's M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal, and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from USA Today. Former GOP candidate arrested in shootings of New Mexico Democrats' homes and offices. Solomon Pena arrested Monday in connection to the recent spate of drive-by shootings at four local Democratic lawmakers' homes, was booked into jail early Tuesday. Pena was, quote, upset that he had not won the election for public office and encouraged accomplices to shoot at the homes during waking hours and he intended to seriously injure or cause death, according to a criminal complaint. Yeah, that complaint reveals some frightening details about the shootings. Bullets fired into one of the lawmakers' homes caused sheetrock and dust to land in the face of the 10-year-old daughter as she slept in bed. Uh, Pena, who lost his bid for a state house seat in November, is accused of conspiring with and paying four other men to shoot at the homes of two county commissioners and two state legislators. But it's not the first time he's had trouble with the law. Apparently, across three cases in 2007, Pena was convicted of 20 charges, including burglary, receiving stolen property, and larceny. There were also charges of bribing and intimidating a witness. Those were later dropped, but he ended up serving several years in prison. Uh, He was then ordered to go through alcohol and substance abuse treatment, mental health counseling, anger management, Uh, This is all according to court records. He actually lost his right to vote because of his record. He was only eligible for reinstatement uh, for those rights in 2021, the year he completed probation, and then apparently decided to run for office here, Jill. But some uh, really scary stuff. From the Hill, Wyoming lawmakers propose ban on electric vehicle sales. A group of GOP Wyoming state lawmakers want to end electric vehicle sales there by 2035, saying the move will help safeguard the oil and gas industries. The measure introduced to the state legislature last week was sponsored by six state legislators who said electric vehicles will hinder Wyoming's ability to trade with other states. The bill states that citizens and industries would be encouraged not to purchase electric vehicles before that ban goes into effect. The legislation says that adding new power charging stations would require massive amounts of new power to sustain the misadventure of electric vehicles. Yeah, Jill, I don't know how far this bill is going. Uh, By the way, uh, Wyoming produces about 85 million barrels of oil a year. To put it in the context, that's about how much the U.S. uses in about four days. Either way, they want to defend that industry. And it does come as New York, California, 15 other states have moved to ban gas-powered vehicles, most of them sometime in the 2030s. And so the last clause of this Wyoming bill literally says they should send a copy of the bill to the governor of California. So it's clearly in response to California. They're upset about that. Again, worried about the industry in Wyoming, though I did see an interview late Wednesday with one of the legislators who put this bill out here, Jill, and he's like, oh, maybe I'm having second thoughts. This was more of a symbolic thing uh, because clearly he's gotten some negative feedback here. We should note Wyoming also has reserves of things like cobalt and graphite, which are both used in electric vehicle batteries, so they could benefit from the electric revolution, if you will. They're also set to receive about more than $20 million over the next few years to upgrade their charging infrastructure. So Wyoming does stand to benefit from this new environment, uh, regardless of what this bill says. 
But now uh, kind of to the other side of the spectrum here from Mashable, England bans the sale of single-use plastics. And I love this first line. Good news for the environment and terrible news for whoever has to do the dishes after a child's birthday party. (laughs) A range of single-use plastics, including plates, trays, bowls, cutlery, balloon sticks, which is an odd choice. Uh, Other cups and food containers will be banned as of October 2023 in England. This all comes as the amount of single-use plastics has tripled globally just since the start of the pandemic. These plastics end up filling oceans, lakes, rivers, piling up on land, a major source of greenhouse gas emissions, uh, most of them not recyclable, despite what the industry may have told you. There's a great John Oliver segment on that, on the fraud of plastic recycling, at least what we were sold and what it turned out not to be. And so they join a bunch of other countries that have passed similar bans on single plastic use France, Spain, Scotland, Wales. The UN is working on a global plastic pollution treaty. Uh, The US, we're a little behind on this one. Certain states, including New York, uh, California, Connecticut, Delaware, uh, Jersey, Oregon, Vermont. So basically the West Coast and the the Northeast have banned single-use plastics, but more than 40 states uh, still allow it. And that comes as the US is the world's largest polluter with plastics. Listen to this number. When you break it down to population, the average American generates 287 pounds of plastic pollution annually. And a recent global survey shows that three in four people around the world want single-use plastics banned. So you're probably going to see that trend continue here in the U.S., but a lot of countries banning it nationwide. From the Wall Street Journal, Harvard Medical School withdraws from U.S. news ranking. The school's dean says that he has a philosophical concern with those rankings. He says, quote, they cannot meaningfully reflect the high aspirations for educational excellence, graduate preparedness and compassionate and equitable patient care that we strive to foster in our medical education program. Yeah, this appears to be another nail in the coffin, so to speak, of the U.S. news rankings. They've fallen on hard times in recent years. This follows the medical school decision, follows the decision by Harvard Law School and other law schools to uh, drop out of the rankings as well. The feeling is, at least on the part of the law school deans, some undergrad programs that have pulled out as well, is that the rankings can lead schools to falsify data, center policy around rankings as opposed to uh, better objectives, like, you know, how well are we teaching the students? It also, they say, uh, leads them to divert financial aid from students with need to those with the highest test scores. Again, in pursuit of this U.S. News ranking, U.S. News, uh, back in the day, remember them? U.S. News World Report was a major weekly magazine. Uh, These days, they're more known for their rankings. They've been ranking programs since the 80s, and they intend to continue ranking even though a lot of these schools are no longer going to be providing them internal data. I remember when I applied for college, looking so closely at the list, who was number one, who made the top 10, who made the top 25. It's definitely a factor, I think, for so many students who are picking, whether it be undergraduate or medical school or law school. And by the way, that same criticism you hear in for K through 12, too, that they're always teaching for tests and rankings and, and to get sort of awards from the state. Jill, it was a constant thing at GW, still is, because GW, for all it charged as a as a university in DC where I went, uh, we would always like finish like number 52, 53. We weren't in the top 50. And it was literally an issue where they would, you know, yell at the president university about it. Uh, and they were desperate. So it's interesting to see uh where we've gotten here in the 2020s on the US news rankings and how US News is gonna try to uh, deal with the fact that a lot of these schools no longer saying they care about this ranking. 
And now to my favorite story of the day from Variety. Madonna unveils dates for Celebration World Tour featuring four decades of mega hits. Madonna made that announcement in a viral video with a wink to her 1990 film Truth or Dare. The video features celebs like Judd Apatow, Jack Black, Lil Wayne, Diplo, among others, and culminates with Amy Schumer daring Madonna to go on tour and perform her four decades of mega hits. She said, all right, that tour begins in July. So it's a 35-city global tour. It'll kick off in Vancouver on July 15th, with stops then in Detroit, Chicago, New York. Jill, I imagine you'll be going to that show. If I could get tickets, yes. (laughs) Uh, If not, Miami, LA, then you might have to go to Europe if you can't get tickets for the New York show. Madonna telling folks, I'm excited to explore as many songs as possible in hopes to give my fans the show that they have been waiting for, including Jill Wagner. Jill, be up bright and early on Friday. Tickets officially go on sale this Friday morning over at madonna.com slash tour. Wishing all of you better luck than you had with T-Swift. This also happens to be a Live Nation production. I am curious to see how much of a debacle this is going to be in terms of getting tickets. I won't have to get up early. I think they go on sale at 10 a.m., So I'm up for hours at that point already. She's playing at MSG, I believe, in August. I've already talked to a couple friends. We're totally down to go. But again, it just depends on whether or not we can get tickets. Oh, interesting. MSG, smaller venue. For those of you who are familiar with the New York area, she's not going with MetLife Stadium, huh? No, but she's doing two shows. Got it. Moshe, is this not a show that you're interested in? No, I'm very interested in the Madonna show. I was I was curious though, given the anticipation, why she wouldn't go with like an eighty thousand or a hundred thousand person venue as opposed to MSG, which is much more intimate at twenty to thirty thousand people. So it's an interesting choice there. From the AP, comedian Leslie Jones began a temporary whirl as host of the Daily Show last night. She said, I am not Jon Stewart. I am not Trevor Noah. I'm Leslie Jones. So I'll be bringing that vulnerable honesty. Jones, who you might remember from Saturday Night Live and her popular social media commentary, will be standing in as host on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday on the Comedy Central show. She's the first of five comedians who will be rotating through Wanda Sykes, D.L. Hughley, Chelsea Handler, and Sarah Silverman are the others. The longtime host, Trevor Noah, he left the gig last year after seven years at the desk. Jill, it'll be interesting to see if any of these five get the permanent gig, wishing uh, Leslie good luck, have always loved her commentary, especially around the Olympics when she's uh, recording various events and doing her own commentary to them. This sort of reminds me of when Jon Stewart uh, took a quick break before he retired and they let John Oliver fill in. And yet Comedy Central passed on John Oliver going with Trevor Noah. John Oliver, of course, then going to HBO where he's won multiple Emmys with his show. This comes at a time where these late night comedy shows are struggling for relevance. Uh, There've been a bunch of stories about this recently. Tough times, low ratings, even at the network comedy shows, uh, as people like you and me and everyone else out there turns to YouTube, social media for comedy clips. And so um, will The Daily Show be able to regain the relevance that they once had under Jon Stewart? Uh, It does come as Semaphore, the newsletter, is reporting that CNN is considering for its 9 p.m. Eastern slot, Bill Maher and John Oliver, among other comedians, as CNN tries to figure out what to do with primetime. That's so fascinating. It's just this line between news and entertainment is getting blurrier and blurrier. It's all one show we're watching, Jill. We just had a, a president for four years who was a reality show host. So I guess it's all over at this point. 
Okay, well, this next story, I don't know if this is considered news or entertainment, but um, why Joe Biden shouldn't be singing happy birthday in public. Biden appeared to forget the name of Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter-in-law while singing her happy birthday at an event honoring the late civil rights leader in Washington, D.C., Andrea Waters King was attending the National Action Network's annual MLK breakfast alongside her husband, Martin Luther King III, on Monday. When Biden stepped up to the microphone, he immediately addressed the King family, and it wasn't long before he launched into song. Again, remember, her name is Andrea. My wife has a rule in her family. When somebody's birthday, sing happy birthday. You ready? (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Alan. Happy birthday to you. Well, happy birthday, dear Val. Yeah, hold on. Was, was it, it? Valet? <laughs> Valet? Jill? Why did he do this? This was so unforced. This wasn't scripted. And there are so many scenarios. We were talking about this before the podcast. Like, scenario one, I understand it's your uh, wife's birthday. He was addressing Martin Luther King III. Happy birthday. But he insisted on singing it. And then you also could have put the microphone out to the crowd, knowing that you don't know her name. Happy birthday to you. And they just hold the microphone out, like most singers. He also didn't do that. Whenever you get cake at a restaurant, usually they do happy birthday, happy birthday, happy birthday to you. It wouldn't have been great, but it would have been better than this. And we were talking on the podcast this week about how the Stevie Wonder happy birthday version (laughs) was literally written for Martin Luther King Jr., her father-in-law. So you're going to go, happy birthday to you. like, And then just let the crowd, just Biden, why do you do this to yourself? Why, man? As he would say, what are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? Moshe, I think we have next year's on this day for January 16th, the day that (laughs) Joe Biden (laughs) botched happy birthday. Jill, remind me about that next January 15th. You're like, Moshe, you're missing the most significant (laughs) on this day in history. We should just play that clip annually. That'll become a new tradition. Jill, that brings us to On This Day in History, where we will be wishing a couple of folks happy birthdays, and we do know their names. Uh, before we start, though, we should mention that it is brought to us by our sponsor, Magic Spoon Cereal. They're offering their peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, and fruity flavors, all part of their new variety pack to Mo News listeners. A lot of nostalgia there with cereal, and you can have that nostalgia with Magic Spoon, but without all the sugar. It is gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free. You should head over to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack and try it today. The promo code, again, is monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, to get $5 at checkout over at magicspoon.com slash monews. All right, we begin today with happy birthday messages for Kevin Costner. Uh, the actor is 68 today. And another actor, Jason Siegel is 43. You might remember him as Marshall Erickson on How I Met Your Mother or uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall or I Love You Man. He had some, he had some good uh, classic films there for a few years. And a lot of full frontals, I might add. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what Jason has in store for us uh, as he turns 43. Uh, let's go a little further back in history. This is as teased at the top of the podcast. 80 years ago today, January 18th, 1943, The U.S. banned sliced bread. For real, folks. What? So this all happens during World War II. Uh, Claude Wickard, he's the Secretary of Agriculture, the head of the War Foods Administration. He declares the selling of sliced bread illegal. 
Uh, apparently, the feeling was they're trying to save energy, trying to save resources as the U.S. fights World War II, and sliced bread required thicker wrapping to stay fresh. So he reasoned that the move would save wax paper and tons of steel used to make bread slicing machines that they feel they needed for the war effort. They were literally looking at everything, being like, what can we save to ensure we can win the war in Europe and Japan? So January 18th, they banned the sale of sliced bread. Well, leave it to New York to be like, what is happening here? So January 24th, just a few days later, the whole thing begins to unravel. The mayor of New York, LaGuardia at the time, makes an announcement that bakeries in New York that already have bread slicing machines, they can keep using them. That then causes a whole rift between the bakers of New York among those who had slicing machines and those who did not, being like, whoa, why are they allowed to slice bread? They're going to make more money than us. So there's a whole fight among bakeries in New York over this. Well, the whole thing lasts seven weeks as this war ensues in New York. March 8th, the federal government declares uh, the whole thing's off. Uh, everyone, you can sell sliced bread again. It was too controversial. Uh, and everyone celebrated again that we could, again, buy sliced bread in the stores. And Moshe, sandwiches the world over said thank you. Jill, I want to say the theme here about doing great things over 40, because I found another headline, another on this day to that extent. So on this day in 1779, a man We have named to go Peter... back to 1779? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jill, it's January 18th and I was digging around. Okay, the name is Peter Roguet. He was born. Does the last name Roguet sound familiar to you? Not really. Roguet's thesaurus? No. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing to me? <laughs> Roguet's thesaurus... Pretty notable. Some of you in the audience might remember uh, Roguet's thesaurus. I definitely had one in high school as I looked for synonyms. So Peter Roguet is born on the day in 79. He then retires many, many years later. After he retires with his career as a doctor, at age 73, he publishes his first thesaurus. So he's the inventor of the thesaurus, if you will. Apparently, he really liked making lists, and lists helped him with his depression. And so he decides to make the first list of synonyms, they call it a thesaurus, and Roguet's thesaurus was born. Moshe, as a writer, I am ashamed, and I'm going to use a thesaurus to come up with other words that I feel right now for not knowing who he was. It's all good. Peter Roguet forgives you. But he is another person who uh, went on to remarkable things, again, publishing his first thesaurus at age 73. Sheepish, remorseful, penitent, <laughs> regretful, <laughs> guilt-ridden, contrite. I could go on. Good work there, Jill. Good work. All right, two last items for you on this day. On this day, 48 years ago, the Jeffersons premiere on CBS. Moving on up to the east side to a deluxe apartment in the One sky. of the better theme songs. Unfortunately, these days, we don't have the great theme songs that they once got to have in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, staying with the 70s here, actually, on the same day, January 18th, 1975, 48 years ago, Mandy by Barry Manilow came out and reaches number one on the Billboard charts. I can't really sing it because I, I don't totally... Oh, Mandy, you came <laughs> and you gave without taking. <laughs> Stick to your day job, Mosh. All right. Uh, as we end on this day, a special thank you again to our On This Day sponsor, Magic Spoon Cereal. Remember to get your next bowl over at magicspoon.com slash monews. 
Using the code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, you get $5 off. And Moshe, we want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Those reviews matter. We are grateful for all of them. Also, don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, over at the Mo News account there, at Moshe, at M-O-S-H-E-H. We will see everyone back here tomorrow. It'll be a Thursday, close to the weekend, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye.